0: Hi, I'm Jayan Shriram, and welcome to InFocus, the Hindu's Analysis Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have been following the coronavirus outbreak in India and all the related developments through our daily update series that we've included now in the InFocus Podcast. So far that series has been a bit breathless. There's almost too much news happening on a daily basis, both the rising numbers here and the economic consequences, as well as the absolutely astonishing numbers of infections and deaths now being reported from around the world, from countries like Spain, Italy and now the US, which has emerged as a new epicentre of the virus. So this episode is something of a departure because rather than reacting, we are looking ahead to address part of what is now a crucial question. And that is, where will this all end? And how it can end? Treatment for patients who have fallen sick already, drugs that can be given as a preventive, is one immediate area that scientists around the world are racing to address. But a longer term issue is developing a vaccine. And that's why this episode, I think, is so important, because while most of us have heard that a vaccine is going to take a long time to develop, probably a window of about 12 to 18 months, It's important to understand the various steps that go into this, the various stages of developing a vaccine and what exactly might happen in that 12 to 18 month window. I'm joined today by a cell biologist from the University College London, Gotham Day. Incidentally, he's also a friend to whom I often turn if I need complex science in this field to be explained in simple language, in simple terms, which is why I'm particularly happy to share this conversation with you today. And I hope you get as much information from it as I did. Here's Gotham Day. Gotham Day, welcome to the In Focus podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me here, Jen.
0: I'm actually really excited to have this talk, um, and it's and it's because look, there's been a lot written about um, a vaccine for the coronavirus, and I am. I'm not claiming at all that this is a very original idea to do a podcast about it. But for all that's been written, I still don't have an idea of uh, what are the various steps that it takes to create a vaccine. All I know about the vaccine actually from reading is that it's going to take a long time. It's going to take about a year. And, you know, I really wanted to get a sense of what is actually going to happen in that one year. Um, Like both of us, this is like the first pandemic that we're living through, really the first kind of globally cataclysmic event that we're both experiencing and so I think it's important to have these more accessible conversations about the science behind what's going to go on right now. Um, So again that's just to just say that I'm uh, happy that we're having this conversation. I think the basic question here is basically where does one start what is the process where does the process of creating a vaccine actually start?
1: Yeah no absolutely no I I totally agree with you and the, your, the point you make about this being the first time uh, our generation, and perhaps even the generation above us, is living through anything even remotely approaching this is, is absolutely valid. Um, yeah. And as a, as a biologist who doesn't work um, directly in virology or clinical science, it's still been uh, a, a real eye opener to to sort of observe this from the from the sidelines. And I agree that that we need to discuss we need to have more discussions about um, about these things in uncomplicated terms so that everybody is is more or less on the same page. so so I agree very happy to be here to, to talk about that. So maybe we just start with um, just the very simplest thing of all or the first thing, which is what a vaccine is in the first place, yeah. and then we can start we can tr- sort of talk about um, what it means to develop one and why it takes so long and and how this has been a remarkable effort actually in many ways already, even though it's only been a few weeks. So basically, in in its broadest terms, uh, a vaccine is um, a product used to generate adaptive immunity. Um, This means, in in simpler words, it's a way to stimulate your immune system to kind of kickstart it into making um, antibodies against an infectious agent uh, or a pathogen. And these antibodies hang around in in your bloodstream. Your body continues to produce them for months or years afterwards, after the stimulation. And those antibodies are used to fight future infections uh, by the actual disease-causing agent. That's what, that's what it means to provide adaptive uh, immunity. So this product, this vaccine, um, is often actually a version of the virus itself or the infectious agent, in this case a virus. But that virus has been inactivated or weakened in some way so that it can't actually make you sick, but it can still stimulate your immune system into producing antibodies. Sometimes it doesn't have to be the whole virus. It can also be just part of the viral surface um, or even a single protein um, on the surface of of the virus. And that's what's what's used to to sort of uh, produce this, this adaptive immune response. So many vaccines, traditionally, if they're using the whole virus or part of the virus, you actually need to be able to grow the virus or isolate it and grow it up in significant amounts Um, to be able to produce a a weakened or attenuated form. And this, of course, is a very tricky thing because in producing the virus before you inactivate it, you're making a very dangerous agent. However, uh, vaccines that don't use the entire virus, they just use a single protein, uh, don't actually need to start with the virus itself. Uh, You can start just with the genome sequence of the virus. And and that's maybe what you were getting at. So in this case, um, the Chinese... Uh, Managed to sequence the genome of, uh, of the COVID-19, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, um, late in December and release it to the world in early January. And that genome sequence can be used um, uh, to, to kickstart the production of the vaccine. And so the way this works is uh, the, 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 these viruses are quite small. They have quite small genomes. It's only a, and, each, and this genome only encodes a small number of proteins. And based on the behavior of past coronaviruses, uh, people already knew to expect that the most likely candidate for a good vaccine would be something on the surface. And the key protein on the surface of the virus is something called um, the viral spike protein, which which you might've heard about in the news. So because they have the genome sequence and they know what spike proteins from other viruses, coronaviruses look like, they knew which gene encoded the spike protein. And so they can take just that gene sequence and use it to make the protein and study that protein in the lab or to make the protein um, and, and, and kickstart the production of a vaccine. Um, so the, the, the company that has gotten furthest ahead um, into, into, vir- into vaccine production, in this case, the, that company uh, Moderna, um, is, actually took it one step further. And instead of making the spike protein and injecting that into people to induce an immune response, mm-hmm. they're actually uh, building a vaccine around injecting the instructions
0: for making the protein directly into people. Uh, uh, just, just expand on that a bit.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. this, so this kind of, so this kind of vaccine is called an mRNA vaccine. So mRNA stands for messenger RNA. RNA is one of the two sort of uh, molecules that carry instructions inside ourselves. So um, so our cells, um, your genome holds the instructions uh, for all the proteins that the cells make uh, inside the nucleus on a molecule called um, DNA that, that, of course, we all know about. So when the cell needs to make protein, it transcribes a copy of that instruction on the DNA onto a molecule called mRNA. That instruction is sent out of the nucleus and then used to make many copies of the protein. So what Moderna is doing with their vaccine is instead of injecting the protein into um, into humans, they are instructing. I mean, sorry, injecting the instructions themselves. So they're ins- injecting the mRNA molecule, which will then instruct cells to make many copies of the viral protein, that will then lead to the generation of antibodies. And the 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 kind of groundbreaking aspect of of this work is that. Um, uh, no mRNA vaccine, even though these have been uh, proposed and discussed and put forward uh, over the last several years for, for several uh, diseases, no mRNA vaccine has ever made it to market yet. And this would be the first one. And so Moderna is taking, um, I guess, I suppose, in supporting them, we're all all make, taking a huge gamble um, on, on a new technology, making it to market in a very quick time.
0: So you did allude to the fact that um, there is some... There are some aspects of this that are known because this is uh, we have dealt with other coronaviruses before. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and yet, I think we're still dealing with this question of you know why does why was, why is it going to take such a long time to develop a, a vaccine? Um. So, I just want you to sort of address that question a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, I think there's uh, a few different reasons at play here. So, the first is that. Um, Vaccines for the other coronaviruses uh, coronaviruses that appeared uh, in human populations in the recent past, uh, SARS and and MERS, um, never made it to the production state because those epidemics uh, sort of fizzled out before vaccines were able to go into production. And uh, because the epidemics fizzled out, the funding to develop the vaccines also fizzled out. So That means that uh, we actually haven't developed a vaccine against um, a coronavirus in this in the recent past. The second problem is that actually the SARS-CoV-2, even though it shares a name um, or part of its name with SARS, actually isn't a virus from the from uh, from the same family. So it's not like we could use what we knew about SARS to directly uh, produce a vaccine um, against this coronavirus. Um, so that's so that's Part of, the, part of the reason, basically, the, the, the virology communities were starting from scratch with a brand new virus, uh, with a brand new spike protein. The second part of the answer um, is that uh, no matter how quickly you generate a product that could be a vaccine, it still needs to go through multiple phases of, uh, multiple phases mm-hmm. of testing Sorry, um, before uh, you can deliver it to the general population.
0: Yeah, I did want to talk about the stages of testing, but just, I mean, you can tell me better about the state of funding for science, etc. But but what you just told me before, the fact that we did go through SARS and MERS, but we didn't really follow it through in terms of developing a vaccine. Uh, why is that? Is that because, the, in, I don't know, the people who fund just thought that this was like a one-off event and that it wouldn't happen again?
1: I mean, this is a difficult question to answer because I I don't have a great deal of personal insight into the funding mm. mechanisms used for those for those epidemics, um, but um, generally um, there is there is limited funding because so that when we're talking about developing a vaccine, we're talking about uh, initial outlay of millions of dollars, and over the longer term, if you're trying to scale up production, I mean, that goes into the tens and hundreds of millions. So this is a very expensive process and needs to be coordinated on global scale. So in the absence of um, a sustained epidemic, it's very hard to make the case to funding agencies or to national governments or to charities that um, sustained funding for vaccine production should continue. So even though vaccine, even though efforts to create vaccine against SARS had, had already started, they they never made it to completion. Because it was easier to abandon the project than to keep it going in the expectation perhaps that another coronavirus would emerge uh, within a reasonable time frame.
0: And yeah, so this, let's just get back to what we were talking about, uh, this, the the stages of testing, basically. So you were saying that that is what takes a lot of time to achieve, to do? Right.
1: So in, in some senses, I mean, this has been a record-breaking effort already because they have already fast-tracked. So if we take, go back to the Moderna mRNA vaccine, they've already fast-tracked it into humans so it already bypassed several stages of animal testing that it ordinarily would have gone through however even though it's been sort of fast tracked to the phase 1 of human testing um, it's still it's still a process that has to continue for between 12 to 18 months and cannot be rushed and that's that's because they have to go through these following phases so in the first phase it's a it's a very small cohort of um, of uh, patients from the same area, usually selected to be close to intensive care units so that if anything goes wrong, they can be quickly treated between 30 to 50 patients. I think in this case, it's 45. Um, And they have to be monitored for a few months uh, for several reasons. First, they need to monitor, people need to monitor if their bodies are actually producing um, antibodies in significant numbers against the virus because if they don't do that, then there's no chance that this uh, vaccine will actually confer immunity. Mm -hmm. In addition, at the same time, they have to uh, monitor these patients for any possible side effects, any cross-reactivity with other um, uh, vaccinations that they may have taken, um, any sort of negative impact of the the vaccine itself. Um, At this point, it's only been given to healthy patients. So Um, So these are people that have not been infected. It's just a question of, does this vaccine uh, force the body to produce enough antibodies? So if it makes it through this first phase, and there's no way, as far as I can tell, um, to rush this beyond the the four or five months that that are sort of mandated. So best case, by the end of the summer, they have some results on this. Uh, Phase two uh, moves into a different scale. This is now hundreds of thousands of uh, people. From multiple sites around the world Um, again they're monitoring for the same things for safety for uh, the strength of the immune response for cross-reactivity with other vaccines but now because they're doing it at such a different scale this allows them to get a much better sense for whether this will be safe uh, when delivered to the general population and this process will take until early next year finally phase three is a test of the final formulation of the vaccine Um, at its uh, sort of a finalized dosage under conditions of natural disease transmission um, and under as close to normal conditions as possible. And if it passes this, this is the version of the vaccine that will be produced at large scale and delivered to people all around the world. So altogether, this process is going to take at least a year, which sounds like a long time when we're in the middle of an epidemic. But um, just for a sense of context, uh, normally in in the past uh, decades, uh, a vaccine from producing a vaccine from scratch against a new disease-causing agent, a new pathogen, has usually taken between 10, 12, 15 years. So to be able to do this in in a single year is uh, is a is a massive um, uh, speeding up of the whole process and uh, through a concerted global effort. Right. And so then um, I sort I talked about basically the the responses that people are measuring, but in parallel, while all of this is happening, of course you also have to scale up manufacturing because you need to be able to produce millions of doses and um, they have to be produced in accordance with sort of high, high level quality control.
0: And, you know, just another kind of basic question. I have been doing a little bit of reading about this and there are, well, there, there's one major scientific effort that you mentioned that's, you know, taken the lead in creating a vaccine, but there are several other reports of a, a lab I think there's even one in India that's managed to isolate a strain. Mm-hmm. Or I think I think that's the terminology. What exactly does this mean? And you know, so when, when people are trying to follow the research, which I think many people will be trying to do, what what is what does it mean to say that someone has isolated a strain and what what do we sort of need to look for in terms of which which lab, which scientific effort is really taking the lead?
1: Um so those are perhaps two st- Slightly separate questions, so specific question sure. about the strain we can discuss and then and yeah. then about this general issue of how to how to track information I think that's a that that is a bigger challenge so yeah. the in terms of the strain so 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 as the as the virus spreads through um, the population and potentially if it arose multiple times from different sources uh different uh, people, patients around the world will be infected with slightly different strains of the virus because it's evolving and changing its genome all the time. So even though we have a genome sequence um, that was used, let's say, for these first vaccines and came out of China in January, as uh, more and more uh, viruses isolated from from patients around the world and those genome sequences, uh, there will be small differences between the sequences, which account for these uh, sort of strain to strain differences. So people use, at this early stage, people are using the strain information to track the spread of the virus. Because if you know that a, 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 a strain or set of strains originated in a certain country, and then you identify those strains uh, now in patients in a, in, a, in a third country, you can use that to track the spread of the virus. So from a purely epidemiological perspective, it's important to have that strain information. From the perspective of treatments or a vaccine, it's also important For example, if some of that variation is variation in the spike protein that that we're talking about using for the vaccine itself, because then there would be the possibility that the vaccine would only work against certain strains of the virus. The reason, for example, for the the kind of more common flu uh, for which vaccines are released every year, the reason they have to release a new vaccine each year is because um, in the preceding 12 months, the um The flu strains that are circulating in the population have had a chance to evolve, and so
0: right. the- va-
1: and so the vaccine needs to be tweaked slightly in order to provide efficacy against the new strains. However, because they already have a vaccine, it only takes small changes um to be able to to quickly scale up production, and it doesn't have to go through all these phases of testing each time
0: just to, just a quick clarification so so when someone reads that someone has isolated a strain yeah. It, it basically uh, talks to the fact that they can um, th- that all this information would work toward the eventual development of the virus and its adaptable of, of the vaccine and its adaptability, but not to the uh, the first major step in creating the vaccine itself. Um, am I phrasing that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, absolutely. so so if if if, for example, some of the strains have are found to have big differences, let's say, in the sequence of the pro- of the genes encoding things like the spike protein, it will have a direct impact on vaccine development. It will mean that um, multiple uh, vaccine variants will have to be developed in parallel. If the differences between strains are small, it will have an impact in the longer term as the virus evolves to fight our immune systems.
0: One thing that I really didn't get to also is the fact that um... People look at the vaccine as a kind of an end solution. But just before there's a vaccine developed, there's there's the question of like treatment. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you therapeutic. I don't know if, that, if that's the right word to use.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. You're, yeah. The, all words are, are fine. Treatments or are, are therapies or therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tha- so, yeah therapies. So uh, so what's the what's the dif- what's the best way to describe the difference there?
1: I mean, the, 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 the well, to, to fight an epidemic, you need both. You need to be yeah. able to treat people that are already sick and you need to be able to provide immunity to people that have not gotten sick yet or people that have recovered and, 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 and you need to protect them from getting sick again if they have not developed um, their own immunity to, to the virus. So you need both in parallel, but the treatments will uh, almost certainly emerge first. So again, there's a couple of reasons. Um, in this case, even though... Um, so in this case as well, and There had been partial progress towards treatments for the MERS and SARS viruses, but these had gotten further along. So the ones that are in the news now, such as um, remdesivir, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but um, the drug yeah. remdesivir, um, was being proposed as a treatment for MERS and SARS and had already made it um, into some level of testing, which is why they've been able to get it very quickly, um, uh, approved for testing against uh, SARS-CoV-2, and um, and I think within the next month or so, I think at least certainly by the end of April, it will already be in clinical trials um, if it's if it's producing promising results by then. And so that's one type of um, drug that might make it to market relatively quickly. It's something that was in the pipeline. Um, and, and can be picked up again. And the pipeline for drugs is much shorter than the pipeline for a vaccine. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, a drug you're giving to somebody that's already sick, a vaccine you're giving to a healthy person to try and save them from getting So The standards are a bit different. Um, the other strategy that people are taking is to repurpose existing drugs that are already on the market and given to patients uh, for all kinds of uh, other, either diseases or disorders. And use them to fight the virus. In that case, also it can be very quick because um, because those drugs have already been approved for use in humans and don't need to be
0: reapproved. Right. So is is that is that what's happening now with drugs like uh, chloroquine and I think there was um, hydroxychloroquine is something that's been yes. I think, suggested in India for use in high risk patients.
1: Yes, so... that's correct. Um, unfortunately, this is another example of what happens, I guess, when the science moves very quickly and there's so much public attention uh, and demand for, for treatment options. So the, the, the initial research that suggests that this combination of, of chloroquine and either azithromycin or another compound might um, provide a, a treatment regime is mixed. The evidence is, is fairly mixed. And so I think the recommendation may only be that it's, it's been given to patients that are already um, in very severe condition. But um, it certainly is, it certainly hasn't received strong enough support to be to be put forward as a as a widespread treatment. But you're absolutely right. Those are drugs that are already um, in use or, or, or have been previously in use for um, for other infectious diseases, and uh, in this case, malaria. And they can be and they can be
0: repurposed very quickly. Yeah. Bottom. Thanks so much for joining us for lending us your time and expertise. This was really fascinating.